Just been sitting here feeling a lot like David at the dentist. People have checked in with him. He's grown up now. Things seem to be going fine. Remember David at the dentist? Is this real life? He'd been put under for a little dental work, and when he woke up, he was a little woozy. Things didn't make sense. He was looking at his hands, watching the trailers. Is this real life? And he couldn't figure it out. Now, eventually, everything settled back down. Are you feeling like David at the dentist? Right here on my phone is that tweet that Jacqueline LaBelle referred to from U.S. President Donald Trump to Iranian President Rouhani. And then in all caps, Never, ever threaten the United States again or you will suffer consequences the likes of which few throughout history have ever suffered before. We are no longer a country that will stand for your demented words of violence and death. Be cautious. Is this real life? Did someone actually tweet that? Someone in a position of very, very big power? In all caps? What are you, five? I don't get it. And then I look at the Danforth, which is just a sensational place. Great place to hang out. Somebody walks in there with a gun and starts firing. Is this real life? We're going to get an update on that in about seven minutes from now. We're also going to hear from a couple of different people throughout the show on some pretty important stories that hopefully will make these feel like, yeah, you know what? This is real life. We didn't just go to the dentist. Nobody put an IV in our arm and gave us drugs to knock us out. And then when we woke up, we weren't groggy. This this is the stuff that's really going on. Look at globalnews.ca, 980cfpl.ca. London police are investigating after they say the occupants of a vehicle shot at another vehicle at close range early Sunday. I mean, we can take this in the direction of gun violence very easily, but it's more than that. It's more than that. It's not just about weapons. It comes down to what makes someone want to shoot to kill. You fire into another vehicle at close range. What is it that you're trying to do? I don't think it's get their attention. I don't think it's because they cut you off. I don't think it's because they pulled a London left and you didn't get to go through the red light. I don't think that's what it was at all. What makes someone want to shoot to kill? Got all kinds of weapons all over the place. Do you own a baseball bat? I own a baseball bat. Sometimes that's used as a weapon. Do you own a tire iron? There's one in our car. I think it came with our car. I don't see it as a weapon. I've got a hammer. Don't see that as a weapon. And I never will. Because I don't want to hurt anybody else. Now, you can call me the ultimate pacifist. I don't know if I'm that either. But... To look at this and and put it down to one type of weapon, I don't know if we can do that. But you do have the divided sides again. You have the one side that says, if we get rid of all guns, everything will be better. You have the other side that says, if we do that, the government will take over our lives. Okay. I still think we'd need a third category, because I think there are a lot of responsible gun owners out there. 
and the finger doesn't point at gun owners. Everybody gets their back up right now. People who want to get rid of guns and people who own guns, everybody gets their back up. Everybody gets thinking, oh, people need to see things my way. Comes down to what makes someone want to shoot to kill. And again, we'll check in for the latest details because the story in Toronto is continuing. We have had a couple of news conferences. You probably heard Jacqueline LaBelle say that there are now two victims and then the suspected shooter that we can call another person who is deceased. We have a 10-year-old and an 18-year-old. Is this real life? It is. And then next hour, we're going to get to another story that does not have the same impact as guns and weapons and shootings and tragedy. But it's one that we really do need to pay attention to. And I want to take you back to April on this very radio station at this very time. We were talking with Dan McTagg from GasBuddy.com. And we were looking at the effect of the price of gas. We were looking at the Trans-Canada Pipeline. Here is Dan from April with some pretty strong words about the Trans-Canada Pipeline. Anybody who thinks for a moment that there's no correlation between pipelines and getting oil to market doesn't uh, come back and pinch them at the pumps, better think twice because those are very hard facts. Uh, Our Canadian dollar is tied at the hip with the price of oil and the fact that we're having to give it away to Americans at discounted prices. And by the way, I point out that uh, basket case Venezuela is still able to get 57 bucks a barrel for its oil. We're getting 42. That to me is a disgrace. And it's a wake up call for all Canadians to push back on those who are uh, using the environmental part to block Canadian clean oil into the world. So now we're seeing the federal government become the owners of the trans Canada pipeline. And it is going to cost about what? 4.5 billion. This thing is not going right because it's been handled wrong. And we're going to talk about that in an hour from now. But let's get to the big story, the one that nobody can get away from today. The one that you don't really want to get away from because you want to try and understand it. But like with all of these stories, you just can't. Is this real life? Up next, we are going to speak with Global News reporter Jason Chapman. He checked in this morning on the Craig Needle Show. There have been more developments. We wanted to check back with him, get you the latest on what is happening in Toronto and whether or not there are more clues that would help us to make sense, help us to feel as though that groggy sensation that you get when you wake up after dental work or after surgery is maybe dissipating a little bit. This is London Live. It's Monday, and it is real life. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. London Live brought to you by our friends at Winmar, your restoration specialists. So many different emotions kind of run through today, and they run through us whether we have been directly affected by a tragedy like the one we saw in Toronto last night or not. You can't be human and not somehow experience the confusion, the disbelief, the anger that exists. We have checked in a couple of times throughout the day on the latest developments. We want to continue to do that. Joining us right now is executive producer with Global News Radio, AM640 in Toronto, Jason Chapman. Jason, thanks so much for being here. Mike, thanks for having me, man. 
Jason, here we are in London. We have never experienced in this city something like what happened months ago with a vehicle, something like what happened last night with a shooting. We haven't seen something really to that degree, and yet we sit here and and still have certain emotions. Can you express what emotions most Torontonians are talking about today? i got to tell you, Mike, after this news conference that we just listened to where we learned the ages of the victims, Victims are two girls, I'll call them both girls, because one's 10 and one's 18. Devastation, then? It's devastating. It's senseless. Um, it's in a part of Toronto that is just so inviting. It's uh, full of, it's, it's Greek town. It's got cafes and restaurants and parkettes where kids play and eat their heroes. Like, I, I, I mean... Those are the words that come to my mind, Mike, and especially now that we, you know, all morning long I, I was uh, doing interviews on the radio stations. People said, hey, was this a targeted attack? Nope. Not when the victims are 18 and 10, and we're learning more and more off the record that, like, the one older girl saw the gun, ran, and this guy decided to shoot her in the back, come over top of her, empty his clip, and then decide to roam around on the Danforth. I I don't know, disgusting I'll throw in as well. We all try and make sense of this, and I know the details have to come out. We do know, again, the names of a 10, or not the name, but the the ages of a 10-year-old victim and an 18-year-old victim, but everybody wants to know more and, and find that reason in behind this. Any eyewitnesses saying anything about the shooter and what may have have not necessarily prompted this, but just led to him standing there and, and firing? Motive, we have we have absolutely no idea of at this time. I'm gonna I'll tell you a couple things. We're learning more and more and it sounds more and more likely, uh, without official police confirmation that police knew this guy, who was known to police is the term we use in news, I guess. So he was on the radar of police from what we've been told. Not confirmed officially, but that's what we know. What we know from witnesses, Mike, is there is no doubt this guy knew what he was doing with a gun. This guy uh quickly unloaded and reloaded his gun. Um, he moved in a way you would see a military guy move stealthily, looking for people, weaving back and forth. Motive, we have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. We do know at this point right now that I can confirm that we know that police are executing a warrant somewhere, possibly where this man lived. We now know that this guy is from, uh, we first heard Toronto specifically, or at least the GTA. So somewhere, uh, we understand right now, police are executing a search warrant and looking for all of those answers, I suppose. All of the questions that we, you know, like, why? We don't know. But, I mean, uh, an 18-year-old and a 10-year-old girl are dead. So uh, was he out targeting them? I, personally, from what I'm seeing and hearing, I doubt it. He's the guy who wanted to possibly make a name for himself. Is uh a guess right now, I guess, from me. Executive producer with Global News Radio AM 640 in Toronto, Jason Chapman, joining us. The number of victims in hospital, that has changed since this morning, correct? Yeah, so the number that we've been told, the number of people, and this is the way police described it, that were shot, it is, right now it stands at 16. That's the total number. 
two people died. The gunman also died. And then we have that uh, the rest went to hospital, some with serious injuries, uh, some with quite minor injuries, remarkably, after this, this gun was fired. Their ages ranged from about 10 to about 59 years old. Uh, that's the very latest we have on everybody that was shot. But in total, including the gunman, 16 people were shot. We've also learned that two police officers were involved with the takedown of the suspect, the 29-year-old man who started all of this. Their police cruiser is uh, being looked at right now. We don't know if it actually had any bullets through it or anything like that. What we know is two officers were involved with the takedown. Their cruiser is also being held right now by the Special Investigations Unit, the SIU. And that's where, I guess, my, I mean, there's some frustrating there's some frustration here right now because the police officers were involved with the shooting. That means they can't tell us basically why they were or how they were involved because the SIU gets involved and they take over investigations involving cops involved in serious incidents. So there's a little bit of, hey, we can't tell you because it's under their purview and we can't tell you because it's under their purview, which is frustrating because everybody just wants some answers right now. You know, we don't need to give this guy a platform. Why, though, I, I think we need to, to know why this happened. Was it, I don't know, and is anybody else involved with this? We don't think so. It'd just be nice to have final, final closure on that. We do know investigations take a whole lot of time. Danforth remains closed right now? Yeah, for a long stretch, too, Mike. I mean, if you know the area, uh, this is closed from Broadview over to Pape. So if you're in the city from London and you're driving down the DVP, and you cross the bridge where the, the subways run over top. This is the general area. And that big stretch of, of Danforth is still closed right now. Um, we have been able to confirm just in the last few minutes that the chief of police of Toronto, Mark Saunders, Bill Blair, who's a federal minister now of border security, I believe is his, his proper title, and the mayor of Toronto, we'll all get together at 4 o'clock today. Can you read some into that? I, maybe, maybe not. It's interesting that the federal government would get involved with this as well, along with, uh, I believe, somebody from the province will be there, uh, and then city as the city as well. So uh, this is this has been confirmed by a source to us uh, that this, this meeting is going to happen, and it's going to be very interesting to see what comes out of that meeting. Maybe we'll learn more about. Uh, what happened at 10 o'clock last night on the Danforth. But that won't be a public news conference. That is a behind-closed-doors meeting. Is that what they're looking at? That is exactly what will happen, and we would hope that after that meeting that they would come out and speak to us. But uh, we have sources, two sources telling us now that that, that meeting is, is going to happen around 4 o'clock today. Jason, thank you so much for the latest updates on this. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Mike. Thank you. Take care. It's Jason Chapman, executive producer with Global News Radio, AM640 in Toronto. So, yeah, that is very interesting that you would bring in the chief of police, you would bring in a federal official, you would bring in some provincial representation for a meeting. Who knows? Maybe they're just getting together to, to throw their hands in the air and say, hey, something has to be done here. How many times have we heard the mayor of Toronto, John Tory, saying that, yeah, there's a gun problem and you kind of hold your arms in the air because it's how do you fix this how do you uninvent fire because guns are not going anywhere australia becomes a really interesting country to look at in the gun debate because everybody always points to them 
and they will point to a mass shooting that took place in the 90s. And then they will point to some fairly immediate action, as far as a government goes, that saw 650,000 guns bought back for about a half a billion dollars. So it cost $500 million. And they bought back 650,000 guns, which Australia at that time deemed about 20% of the guns that were out there. So this is not Australia saying, hey, we're a gun-free country. That's not it. But they do look and they say that during the immediate time following that buyback, murder rate fell, suicide rate fell, and it adds a lot more argument to the, hey, we need fewer guns. The UK has fewer guns. And what would that do? Well, if you don't have a gun, you can't shoot anybody. Give somebody a wiffle bat. Give somebody a pool noodle. Let them joust away. You won't have death. And that is one argument that comes up. Now that guns are in the society, I still firmly believe, I mean, even look at Australia, 80% of guns are still there. So they're not going to disappear. You know, we can look back through the annals of history and the power struggles that have gone on. And weapons usually were involved in some form or another. And so that's not going to change. I really don't believe this is about finding a way to get rid of all guns. Because we've seen this happen before. And we're going to speak with someone who's going to present the side of gun owners today. That's going to happen at, well, about 13 minutes from now. And we're going to get their part because I really believe it's time to divide things into three. You have those who get their backs up saying we need fewer guns. You have those who get their backs up saying no, 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 you can't touch our guns. We're responsible gun owners. The third part is the issue. The third part is the person who would shoot to kill for whatever reason. And there are different elements to those people too. You got gangbangers that are brought up that sometimes don't have a choice. Joining a gang is not like saying, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to become a Cub Scout. That's what I'm going to do. It's not like that sometimes. Sometimes these people do not have a choice. But violence and gun violence, big part of that culture. And they get wrapped up in it. And if we look and say, okay, this, this, is, this is so easy to fix, we'll just buy back all the guns, there'll be nothing, people will take pool noodles out on each other. We're living in a dream world. We're, we're going back to David at the dentist. Because that isn't real life. So we'll examine this in a few different ways in the next half hour. We'll actually play you what Toronto Mayor John Tory said. We will, again, hear from someone who will stand up and say, hey, responsible gun owners know what they are doing, and there is no need to pick on them. And I want to get your thoughts, too. If you have thoughts on this, you want to email them early, please do so. Mike at 980cfpl.ca. We'll open up the phones in about 15 minutes from now. But up next, we will have all the latest on this story, the other news that you need to know. All of it is coming next with Jacqueline LaBelle on Global News Radio, 980cfpl. Email from Al that says, if this shooter was a person of interest 
and on police's radar, he may not have been permitted to legally obtain a firearm. If that is the case, he obtained it illegally. Yeah, well, that is that's certainly a possibility. We're still waiting for a lot of those details to come out. But that outlines a really good point. Now, if you're going to crack down on something, there was a suggestion last week that, hey, we'll just have a buyback program and we'll give $50 for a handgun and $100 for a long gun and we'll just get some of them off the street. And sure, that's an honorable thing to say. First of all, those weapons are worth a whole lot more. You probably sell them elsewhere for a whole lot more. 50 bucks and 100 bucks, not going to do it. Australia did give more than that. But it's not those guns you're worried about. It comes down to this same thing. What makes someone want to hurt somebody else? And I'm willing to calculate it at 98 or 99% of people on this earth do not want to do something that is going to mortally wound another person. But there's still the one, one and a half, two percent, I don't know what it is, but it's really small that has no problem doing that or that sees a need to do that. And that's where the problem comes in. I want to play you something from Toronto Mayor John Tory before we get to our next guest. Here is Toronto Mayor John Tory speaking this morning. I've said for some time that the city has a gun problem in that guns are far too readily available to far too many people. It is something I spoke about very directly at a federal government conference held late last year on acts of violence. As I've said repeatedly, this is an international problem and this is a domestic problem. There are far too many people carrying around guns in our city and our region who should not have them. You've heard me ask the question of why anybody would need to buy 10 or 20 guns, which they can lawfully do under the present laws. And that leads to another question we need to discuss. Why does anyone in this city need to have a gun at all? And I know even answering that question won't fully eliminate tragedies like this, but even if we can prevent one of these incidents, then in my view it is a discussion worth having and having very soon. To that end, I'll be reaching out to both of the federal and provincial governments as they have reached out to us uh, to urge them to sit down with us at as early a date as possible to discuss a range of public safety issues, including uh, guns and uh, the legality uh, of guns uh, in, in various different contexts. So that's Toronto Mayor John Tory. And that may very well be the meeting that Jason Chapman from Global News Radio AM 640 in Toronto was referring to. We spoke with Jason about 10 minutes ago, and he said at 4 o'clock today, you have Mayor John Tory getting together with Bill Blair, who is now a part of the federal government. You have apparently Doug Ford, who will be involved, and you will also have the chief of police in Toronto, Mark Saunders, who will be involved. So those four men getting together in a meeting, that may very well have been what John Tory was just referring to. So he asked the question, Why does anyone need to have a gun at all? We'll put that question and others before our next guest. Our next guest is a part of the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights, because I think we need to make a divide here. You probably know gun owners, at least one. I know some gun owners. Used to have a neighbor who was a gun owner. He had 35 weapons in his house. He was an RCMP officer. But you know what? 
He kept them where they should be, under lock and key. He looked after them. He knew what he was doing with them. And living beside them, not once did I feel afraid. Not once. So we've got to look at that and say there are people who do have weapons and make use of them properly. How do we make the distinction? You know, do we need to say, okay, because a weapon will affect at least one person in a negative way at some point, do we have to then ask, why does anyone need to have a gun at all? Does that solve things? I don't know. Because this question's been out there for a long time. But again, we'll put it before our next guest, and we'll talk about a few other things as well. Next on the show, Tracy Wilson from the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights. This is London Live. My name is Mike Stubbs. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We are taking some time just to try and figure out the feelings that you get every time a tragedy happens. Just the why. We don't have the why. The difficult confusion that exists. Why does something like this even happen then? We don't necessarily have answers to that. But I think we need to really take some time to put some perspective on some things. Because we tend to have a lot of people, and I don't know if you've experienced this in conversations you've had this morning, but you've probably experienced it in conversations that you've had at some point. Whether it was a different shooting that took place, whether it was a different tragedy that took place, you have people on one side who say, no, Guns, no way. If we didn't have them, the world would be a better place. You have the backs getting up from that element. You have individuals who say, you know what, responsible gun owners, there's nothing wrong with them. And then they get their backs up. And in the end, we don't get a lot done. You just get everybody being defensive about everything. want to talk to somebody right now about this particular situation to get her thoughts. Tracy Wilson is the Ontario Director for the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights, and she joins us from Ottawa. Tracy, thanks for taking some time for us. Hi, Mike. Thanks a lot for having me on the show. Tracy, can I put a question to you that you've probably heard already today because it came from Toronto Mayor John Tory? Do you mind if I, I paraphrase here? He said, why does anyone need to have a gun at all? How do you answer that question? Well, that's pretty simple. I think I would answer it by saying we don't live in a society of need. I, you know, I also don't justify why I drive a Dodge Hemi. I don't need that either. So I think unless we're going to be riding around on our our mules and wearing burlap, we've got to be serious about this situation. Um, I also think that the connotation there is sort of implying that, you know, we've got duck hunters and sports shooters running around shooting up the streets of Toronto, which is an absolute lie. And he knows it. We all know it. Now, because of that, and I mean, we all know a responsible gun owner. We all know somebody who is excited to go duck hunting. We all know someone who takes care of the firearm that they own the way that they should. When a tragedy happens, as someone who owns a gun, is it a case where you feel you have to get your back up? Is this a conversation that does happen when a tragedy like this takes place? Oh, absolutely. Every single time this happens, um, you know, the most ineffective people call for more of what hasn't worked, which is gun control. Um, it, you know why that is? That's because it's an easy answer, right? It, it is difficult to work on crime. There's a lot of um, extenuating circumstances here that we, we maybe don't even know the full story yet. 
Is it mental illness? Is it, you know, religious ideology? Is it people feeling desperate? You know, what is causing this? We don't know. The easiest thing we can do is place more legislation and more regulations on gun owners. And it it appears that we've done something. But, you know, we, we can look at the last 30 years of increased gun control. We've also got increased violence. So it isn't us doing it. It's time for a new approach. And what would you feel an approach should look like? Well, there's a couple things that we can do and a couple things that we've actually been talking about for years now. Uh, uh, Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale has been promising for almost three years straight to increase funding to the guns and gangs units um, in the police service agencies across the country. I think it's something like $327.6 million. He's been promising over and over and over again, re-announcing it, yet not one dollar of that funding has flowed into any of these services. And they've been publicly asking for it. Um, so I think sometimes, you know, you're not just responsible for what you do, but you're responsible for what you fail to do. And I think when you've got police services out there begging for more resources and we're wasting millions of dollars on things like C-71, which only regulates, you know, duck hunters and sports shooters, I think, we, I think we've got to take a step back and take a look at what's more important for Canadians and follow through on these promises. Tracy Wilson is the Ontario Director for the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. The word gang comes up again and again and again. Do you feel lumped in with someone who might be a a, a gang member who would own a gun? Well, I mean, I think, yes, absolutely, because there's this weird thing that happens whenever there's a tragedy like this, which unfortunately seems to be all too often. There's sort of a collective guilt assigned to everybody who owns guns, right? Why do we need guns? Why do we have guns? We've had guns in this country for, you know, 100 plus years, right? Um, It's not, you know, we've got to start looking at at the people who are doing this, at the reasons why they're doing it. Um, You know, you can easily say, let's just ban guns and end the problem. And you tell me what, you know, radical uh, people or what gang uh, gang members are going to be lined up at the police station to hand in their guns. Of course they're not. So that that's just a really simple-minded approach. And, you, you know, this is a complex issue. We've got to start thinking critically. When we do look at some forms of gun control, one of the things that comes up is at least making it difficult to obtain a firearm. Tracy, if you're doing that legally, how do you feel the regulations are in Canada when it comes to obtaining a firearm? The regulations are already in place. And obtaining especially a restricted firearm like a handgun or an AR-15 is a really regimented process. Um, uh, Just recently, MP Michelle Rempel went through the process and she spoke about it at a press conference and said it was over a year-long process from the time she took the course until the time she owned a gun. You know, it, it's they are not readily available. They are not easy to get. Um, you know, and if you look at the crimes that are being committed, they aren't being committed by us. So, again, we've, we've got this um, sort of lumping everybody who owns a gun together. We've got to start separating it between criminals and law-abiding gun owners if we ever want to see some progress. So, in conclusion, you would like to see that increased funding that's been promised come through for things like guns and gangs and police enforcement? Absolutely. I think we all want to see for Canada. Gun owners aren't unreasonable. Um, you know, we, we recognize that there there is some violence problems out there, but we also recognize it isn't us doing them. So we support the government and law enforcement in working to combat that. Tracy, thank you so much for your time and your perspective today. 
Thanks so much. Have a great day, Mike. Tracy Wilson, Ontario Director for the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. And if we all follow the rules, and you know what? We're a rule-abiding society, typically. Every once in a while, the rule gets broken. You know, if you run a stop sign or get a fine for being drunk in public and you don't rectify that, eventually a warrant comes out for your arrest. We're a rule-abiding society for the most part. And if you were to follow the rules, again, you don't necessarily run into issues. But we're not a rule-abiding society where rules are followed 100% of the time. You get things like this that take place. We've got a few minutes. If you want to give your thoughts on some of the things that you have been hearing, let's open up the phones. 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. Again, phone lines open, 519-643-2222. Is it, again, the same conversation that goes round and round and round? Or is there a way to turn this into a conversation that does become different and and more productive you have any hope for the conversation that will happen at four o'clock this afternoon that will involve the mayor of toronto that will involve premier doug ford that will involve a former police chief and a current police chief 519-643-2222 email mike at 980cfpl.ca you can tweet me at stubs 980 you're listening to global news radio 980 cfpl 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. We are taking some time to talk about what is becoming, unfortunately, a regular discussion. And where do we go with with gun control? Where do we go with increased funding for police? Chris says, Mike, your guest was spot on. Towns in the U.S. with the most lawful gun ownership have the lowest violent crime rates. It's a culture issue, not guns. Single parents, broken homes, medications, all relevant points. Al says, if this shooter was a person of interest, he'd be on police's radar, may not have been permitted to legally obtain a firearm. In that case, he obtained it illegally. Uh, Another email that has come in from Al, and for whatever reason... Uh, it has dropped away. So I'll get that back. Let's go to the phones right now. 519-643-2222. John, your thoughts on this? Hey, John? I think we've lost John. We'll go to Marilyn. Marilyn, how are you? Oh, not too bad, thanks. But the news is certainly depressing, isn't it? It's a tough day. Well, what with this uh, latest uh, horror in Toronto and uh, Donald Trump's uh, promise of a nuclear disaster. Uh, it uh, it certainly is uh, you know not worth listening to. But we have this is the world we live in, and they keep saying every time there's this type of shoot um, thing that goes on, it goes on uh, pretty well everywhere. But they keep saying something will have to be done. But what? That's that's the question. I think that's why we're left with a circular conversation. Marilyn, you've asked the perfect question. Thank you so much for the call. 519-643-2222. Marv, how are you? Well, I'm well, Mike. How are you? Pretty good, thanks. Good, good. Mike, uh, you know, obviously this is a, a terrible tragedy, and, and uh, every time something like this happens, it uh, 
It is a terrible tragedy. It is. I don't know what to say about it. Um, I, I will say this. I agree very much with your, your, your guest um, from the Firearms Association. I am a firearms owner. I do have restricted firearms as well. They're legally stored and locked up. I'm a responsible user, and, and she was absolutely right about the amount of time involved and, and the hoops you have to jump through to, um, you know, to, to get the licensing to have these, uh, these firearms. Um, and it, it, right away, as soon as something happens, and again, as much of a tragedy as it is, this is a, uh, automatically where it goes. Ban the guns, ban the guns, ban the guns. And I don't think that's the answer. I, I truly don't. There's many, many countries in the world. I, I had an employee for a long time who's from Switzerland, and, and every male, I believe, uh, at least the male, do military service. Uh, and every, every gun, every household has a firearm in it. And, and they do not have these issues. I, I think that there's this systemic problem in society somehow that needs to be dealt with. Uh, and, and again, for the, the vast majority of, of these types of incidents, the people perpetrating these crimes are not doing those legal registered firearms. And I just don't think that that's going to do anything except um, <clears throat> get people really, really upset. You, you, you've got people on both sides of the fence with this that way. And I, I don't want them to take my... The, the, my right away, my, my earned right or privilege, as, as you may choose to call it, to own a firearm. I've earned it. Marv, thanks for the call. Thank you. 519-643-2222. I found Alan's email. He says, I believe we've been very lucky here in Canada that we haven't had the amount of shootings and terrorist acts. These people that commit these crimes are not going to be stopped by changing the gun laws. They may have mental issues. Something has happened to them that may have caused a mental state issue. Our politicians will try to tell us that more police and tighter regulations will fix this. We need to fix the real issue. Why did this person do this? They would have acquired a gun or another weapon to accomplish what they felt they needed. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. And is it that we attack the gun issue because the other issues are things we're working on and it's not working? Is that what it is? We're trying to make families better? You know, what does this come down to? Pass a test to have a kid? Maybe. I don't see a bad thing in that. I don't see that as being a bad thing at all. If you can't pass a test, you should not be able to bring a child into the world because not enough people take having a child seriously. You know, we have a society in which... We are able to have a child. You know what that child is worth? Dollars. And some people treat their children that way. There's a big problem. But it's too big a problem to deal with. All right, we've got a break for news. If you're on hold, please stay on hold. We're going to talk about a pipeline, which sounds like it isn't exciting at all. We're going to do it after news with Jacqueline LaBelle. But trust me... It is interesting, and it is important. If you're driving by a gas pump, look up. It's having an effect on that, and that effect, as of yesterday and on into today, has taken a turn. And it's a turn that may continue to affect that gas pump. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Let's finish off our discussion on gun violence, the latest discussion on gun violence. And I've had a lot of very solid points, because... It isn't coming down to guns. And I'm not somebody who believes the world would be a different place if we had no guns. You'd use a rock. It just wouldn't be as prevalent, maybe. I don't know. But it's, it's, it's not solving it. It's not solving the issue. You have to create good people. I've often subscribed to the theory of the mother bear. Your job 
if you have a child, is no different than a mother bear. And what do they do? They get the bear, male or female, to be able to live on its own, be a respectable part of the forest, don't steal somebody's fish, don't whack somebody in the back of the head for no reason. That's what mother bears do. That's what we're supposed to do. A lot of parents don't do a very good job of that. That's ultimately what some of this comes down to. From Sean, we keep deferring to political and social resolutions for gun crimes. When are we going to accept personal responsibility? People commit crimes, not weapons. And as such, we cannot continue to argue that security and personal responsibility is not at the root of most crimes. Enforce the laws. Demand our politicians quit advocating that our laws don't matter. So away we go. 519-643-2222. Ron, you've got the last word on this. Yeah, I just want to say the gentleman that said there's something wrong with our society and he owns guns. I think there really is, but I don't think we can pin it down to one. So just one my, one of my observations is that we glorify the gun in a lot of our cultural uh, endeavors, whether it be movies, TVs, or whatever it might be. I remember a discussion a little while ago about banning cigarette smoking in movies, but we still allow guns uh, to be glorified in, in a way that they solve all problems. You know what? That's brilliant. That is a brilliant thought, and I'm glad you introduced that. Ron, thank you. Thank you. It is. I mean, we talk about desensitizing things, and we have done quite the job over the last 10, 15, 20 years, and there are good parts about this, but there are also bad parts about this. We have done a very good job being the Wizard of Oz, pulling the curtain back, And seeing what's behind the curtain. Kids from a very young age get to see what's behind the curtain now. And it desensitizes a lot of different things. You know, if you're 12 years old and you can get into your parents' Netflix, you can watch a lot of things maybe you shouldn't watch. Maybe you're not ready to watch. Maybe you could watch, but you should have somebody beside you in order to say, hey, here's why that's happening. And that doesn't necessarily exist. And that's an issue as well. But where do we develop the restrictions? What, do we go back to the internet and redo that again? You can't. It doesn't work that way. Unless you're talking about a sex ed curriculum. Let's turn to something that sounds as though it doesn't have much bearing on us directly. And that's why this is a really fascinating story. Because it's the Trans-Canada Pipeline. And if we were to play a game right now, and I was to say things like gun violence, income tax, infrastructure, gas prices, where would you put all of those things? Well, you'd have your own little order. What if I threw in Trans-Canada Pipeline? What? Well, that's last. I I don't care about that. Yeah, but it intertwines with one of those things directly. And it's time to pay some more attention to that. Again, let's go back. If you missed this off the start of the show, I played a clip from a very passionate Dan McTagg from GasBuddy.com from a few months ago. Just in case you missed it, here it is again. Anybody who thinks for a moment that there's no correlation between pipelines and getting oil to market doesn't uh, come back and pinch them at the pumps. Better think twice because those are very hard facts. Uh, Our Canadian dollar is tied at the hip 
with the price of oil and the fact that we're having to give it away to Americans at discounted prices. And by the way, I point out that uh, basket case Venezuela is still able to get 57 bucks a barrel for its oil. We're getting 42. That to me is a disgrace and it's a wake up call for all Canadians to push back on those who are uh, using the environmental part to block Canadian clean oil into the world. We have a pretty tough PR type tug of war that has been going on. We have had one company that's been involved with this looking for an owner. Well, the deadline has come and gone. So what does this mean? Joining us to help us tell the story is Aaron Woodrick, who is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Aaron, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great, Mike. How are you? Not too bad. So let's kind of look at the crux of this story and and how the pipeline has come to be what it is. When it began, it was a pipeline that was going to do what? Well, originally it was a pretty straightforward project, Mike. It was a company called Kinder Morgan, which is based in Texas. They owned a pipeline called the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which runs from Alberta to the the coast in British Columbia um, to move oil to the water, to tidewater. And uh, they had planned to expand it. They were going to double the capacity of that pipeline to get more oil from Alberta to the coast in B.C. so that they could ship it across the ocean to Asian markets where there's a lot of demand. Um, So that was a straightforward project by a private company that was going to bring a lot of jobs and economic growth to this country, especially in Alberta and B.C. Um, And due to a number of of factors, some due to the Trudeau government's own decisions and others by other governments and activists, um, you and I and all Canadian taxpayers have ended up buying this pipeline. We now own that pipeline, and uh, we are now going to pay for the expansion as well. So a very strange turn of events indeed. And let's look at this, because Kinder Morgan was trying to find someone else who could come in on this, because this is a pretty expensive thing. It's what, $4.5 billion? It's $4.5 billion just to buy the existing pipeline. So that's what's already there. To expand it, they had projected it was going to cost another seven and a half. So you're looking at at least $12 billion. That's assuming everything's on time on budget. So certainly not chump change. Um, and it is a little bit weird, Mike. I mean, it's not a normal situation that you have a private company, an oil company, that wants to sell their pipeline, right? Normally they want to they keep it because they can make money off it. So the fact that they were trying to unload this um, does not bode well for the environment in Canada for building pipelines if, a, if an oil company doesn't think they can make money here by building one. And right there is something that, again, Dan McTagg had been pointing to, that that kind of hurts the idea that we who are tied directly to oil in this country now all of a sudden have, would we call it a weakness toward oil in this country? Yeah, look, there's a couple of reasons. I mean, I mean, one is we want to attract foreign investment. It's good for jobs, it's good for our economy, and this sends a very bad signal. It's, it says you can't build pipelines here. The other, which Dan McTigg was referring to, is the fact that if we don't have pipelines that go to the coast, if we can really only sell to one customer, which is the United States, they can command a lower price because they know we can't sell it anywhere else. So by building pipelines to the coast, it allows us to have alternative customers and it forces the americans to pay more to buy our oil so he's absolutely right um we're gonna we lose money we don't make as much money because the americans get a big fat discount because they know we have no option other than to sell it to them we're talking with aaron woodrick who is the federal director of the canadian taxpayers federation so with kinder morgan trying to find a buyer there was a deadline that was listed as july 22nd aaron i'm looking on the calendar Uh, That was yesterday. So now do we officially own it? Is that kind of what's played out? 
Yeah, you know, they made the announcement at the end of May, and I think at the time a lot of people assumed that no one else would buy it. I, we certainly did. It turns out we were right. Um, you know, it's it, it is if Kinder Morgan, which is a which is a large you know profitable oil company, was trying to unload this thing, it's very unlikely that there would be another company that would say, okay, we're going to give it a go. And the main reason, Mike, is the obstacles to building this pipeline, we were never economic. It's not like on paper, it doesn't make sense. It's political. It's that there are activists, there's a government of British Columbia, they're trying to get in the way of building it, including using illegal means. And that doesn't change just because the government owns it. So I think, you know, Canadian taxpayers, uh, you better hold your breath because we could be in for a lot more than a penny or a pound here if, uh, if this pipeline doesn't get built. So how do you see this playing out for each of us individually, other than that $4.5 billion plus all of a sudden being shared? Well, it, there are a number of ways it could work out. I mean, in a perfect world, they would build it on time on a budget tomorrow, sell it for a big profit, and, uh, and everybody's happy. Unfortunately, it often does not work out that way with government. Um, you know, we can end up trying to build it. They don't get it built. There's cost overruns. Suddenly, taxpayers are out 12, 15, 17 billion dollars. Uh, there's no buyer for it. Uh, we end up operating a pipeline, um, and it's actually a net cost to us then instead of a net benefit. So that's the sort of nightmare scenario. Uh, you know, it's rear uncharted territory here, Mike, because it's been a long time since the government has tried to operate a big project like that. For good reason, it's usually left to the private sector. Could this have been avoided if the government had kind of put down a more stern fist on the table? Uh, yeah, I think there's a couple of things they could have done, Mike. I mean, first of all, they sort of boxed themselves into a corner. They painted themselves into a corner here, and they had to walk across the paint to get out. I mean, there really, really was no other choice but to buy it uh, if it, they wanted to get it built. Uh, but the reason they got painted in that corner is they cut off other pipelines. There were other pipelines that were going to be built. They canceled those. They, they, they blocked those. Uh, they also told us that if there's a carbon tax in Alberta, they'll let us build the pipeline. That didn't happen. So that argument failed. And then last but not least, when Kinder Morgan said, you know, we need reassurances in order to keep building this, they didn't ask for money, Mike. They did not ask for it to get uh, taken off their hands right off the top. They just wanted the government to, to, to demonstrate they were going to, you know, uh, enforce the law and make sure that they'd let them build the pipeline. But they didn't do that. So a number of mistakes here. Not all the Trudeau, Trudeau government's uh, fault, but certainly enough blame to lay at their feet as well. Ern Woodrick, who is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. When and when would we know how this might play out? Is this just kind of the ongoing soap opera that, that will just be never ending? Well, look, I, there's always politics when it's politics, Mike, and there's an election in a little over a year. I think this government, by buying this, is signaling that they're trying to demonstrate they're serious about getting a pipeline built. So they're going to have to actually have shovels in the ground. If they do not have bulldozers moving within the next year, I think a lot of people are going to question whether or not they're committed to getting it built. So that's going to be the next signal we're going to see is how far are they willing to go? How, are they actually willing to drag people away protesting uh, in order to get this pipeline built? We've heard the line, if you build it, they will come. If you build it, will somebody come and buy it? <laughs> well, I, I, I think if they actually get it built, there's a good chance they'll sell it. I don't know whether they'll get a good price for it, Mike, given how desperate they've, they've been signaling they're desperate to sell it. And as anyone who's tried to sell a house uh, knows, if you signal you're desperate to sell, you're not likely to get as high a price as, as if you didn't make that signal. Ugh, what a mess. Now, just before we let you go, Aaron, you said that uh, we could be in for a whole lot more than, than a penny or a pound. Effect on the gas pumps, could there be an effect there for all of us? 
Yeah, I mean, it's gas. Uh, the prices of the pump are impacted by a whole number of things, uh, you know, including this, including carbon taxes, including the world price of oil. Uh, it's hard to disentangle all of that. But as as, uh, as Dan McTague pointed out, you know, if we want to, uh, if, if Canadian oil companies are going to make their money somewhere, uh, then they can make it other places rather than here. That That's better for oil prices for us. That's better for gas prices. So more capacity is good news. Getting a pipeline built will be good news for Canadian gas prices. All right. Aaron, thank you so much for helping us to understand what's uh, a bit of a complex and convoluted story. My pleasure, Mike. That is Aaron Woodrick, Federal Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. So how do you avoid this? How do you fix this? You go back in time and you do it differently. And you don't put all your eggs in one basket if that basket doesn't have a very secure bottom. The eggs went in the basket. Bottom's fallen out. Now who knows? It's going to be a costly, costly thing. That What does that do? Ultimately, that gets brought up at election time and somebody points at the Liberals saying, do you know how much money they spent? And everybody hates on that. And then we get a governmental change and the cycle continues. I've been talking a lot about continuing cycles today. It can be exhausting, can't it? Up next, I want to talk about your cell phone instead. You think you could live without it for a week? That's a question that people keep asking. I have a different question. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Have you ever been through a cleanse? I've managed to avoid it. I don't know if it's worthwhile or not. It makes you feel cleaner, I guess. One of the things that keeps popping up is cell phone cleanse, which essentially asks you to take an entire week. It's kind of like turn off the screens week, but it's only your phone. So you can still use screens. You could use a laptop. You could use a desktop if you wanted to, if you could find one of those. You could watch a TV screen. If you're at the airport, it's okay. You can look and say, oh, my flight's still on time. What do you do if it's turn off the screens week and you have to fly somewhere? Excuse me, could you look at the screen behind me? I can't. I need to know if my flight's on time. I don't get it. But here's the question. Could you live without your phone, your cell phone? For a week. And my question is, why are we doing this? Why would someone do this? You know, years ago, a little item was invented, and then it was replicated because we have two feet. That item is the shoe. Why do we wear shoes? Well, because they make our lives easier. You would really struggle walking around without shoes on. If you had to walk on hot pavement or you had to walk on cold snow, in fact, you can't. You can't walk around for long on cold snow. Can't live in Canada without shoes. You'd suffer the equivalent of third-degree burns on your feet. I look at the phone, and this comes from somebody who owns a cell phone. I look at the phone as being now an essential item. It is essential to life. Because of all the things that it ties us to. Are there bonuses that come with that? Sure. You always have the internet in the palm of your hand. Are there problems with that? Yes. Having the internet in the palm of your hand makes you addicted to checking things on the internet. I wonder how the St. Louis Cardinals are doing today. No, you don't. You really don't care. You do not care. I wonder if anybody's posted a picture on Instagram in the last five minutes that I haven't seen. 
No, you don't. You don't care. That's not pertinent. But I look and say it's an extreme to put your phone down and, and run away from it for a week. I mean, how many people could actually do that? How would you answer your emails? Well, you could go to that desktop. You you could go to you know, that, that laptop. You could do it very easily. But all these people going on their phone cleanse and saying, oh, it, you know, it was amazing how, how de-stressed I felt. And, uh, what we need to do is have better phone management. Somehow you have to look and say, yeah, okay, I do need this. I need this to stay connected. I need this to say, oh, the name of that actor. What is – or how old is this? Or when is this? And you should be able to look it up. That's part of our life now. But to be able to say, no, no, just just put it down. Just go camping. Then you come back to what? 80 emails? 150 emails? There are parts of it that you need it for. This cell phone cleanse thing, because what happens at the end of the week? Somebody goes, well, that was interesting. Oh, can't wait to get back on my phone. That's the issue. The human brain gives itself little rewards if you do things. You see this maybe most prominently in young boys who like video games. When they get through a level, you get that feeling in your brain, oh, I accomplished that level. I'm on to the next level. Oh, I accomplished that level. I'm on to the next level. And that's the kind of thing that your phone can give to you. It can prevent you from ever being bored. But the idea that you put it down and you never look at it for a week and then expect, okay, that's fixed me, that's nonsense. That's silly. That's a reason for somebody to blog with the hope that somebody with a phone will look and see their blog and read the blog about how they put their phone away for a week. That's how ridiculous that happens to get. So if you're thinking about putting down the phone for a week, I don't know what you're accomplishing. I just don't think it's what you're supposed to be accomplishing. Learn how to use the phone properly. See, if we did that with a lot of things, learned how to use the Internet properly, learned how to use the phone properly, we would be further ahead. You have to look at the necessities in life. Shoes are, yes, a necessity in life. And the phone... You know what? I'd put it there as a necessity in life. Email from Rob. Rob says, as a Cubs fan, I care how the cards are doing. Don't worry, the cards are way back. They're not, they're not getting close at all. Don't worry about those Cardinals. Now, if it was the Oakland Athletics chasing the Chicago Cubs, that'd be a different story. That team continues to astound everybody. You don't even have Billy Bean and Moneyball anymore. And still, they're finding a way with no fan support and no payroll to make themselves relevant. You want to watch a team going forward in Major League Baseball? You don't have a team to cheer for? You're tired of saying, well, you know, the Blue Jays, maybe another year. That's fine. Watch the Blue Jays if you're a Blue Jays fan. But if you're somebody who had jumped on the bandwagon of the Blue Jays, jump on the Oakland A's bandwagon because that's, that's going to be a whole lot of fun going forward. What are we doing going forward? Well, next week, the Ontario Summer Games is going to kick off. What do we need to know about the Ontario Summer Games? Is this is this like the Canada Summer Games? Mm, not really. Well, then what is it? Well, we'll get an answer to those questions, I promise. And we're also going to take a look at something that I I don't I don't know whether this is just a reason for someone to click. I don't know whether this is clickbait. Russia has decided that they're going to outlaw fake news. 
And they've done it as only Russia would try to outlaw fake news. While we're doing that, can the United States outlaw Donald Trump from using all caps and tweets? I think that would help things, too. News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle. My name is Mike Stubbs. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Email from Al about Russia banning fake news. Al says Russia genuinely banning fake news is fake news. Ha, ha, ha. I agree. Uh... Here's here's where it comes from. Story released today says Russia will crack down on fake news at home. They have a law that has been submitted that has not been passed yet, but it will hold social networks accountable for inaccurate comments that users post. Well, then all social networks better just pack it in because you're going to have Russia going, that's a fine, that's a fine. Oh, someone else posted, that's a fine. Here comes another fine because you don't control what your users post. That's why we try to give everybody an education who's getting onto social media that you got to kind of take this with a grain of salt, for whatever that means. Why are we taking things with a grain of salt? What does the salt do? It makes it taste better. It has nothing to do with... I've got to look up that saying. I will find out what that, what that means before the end of the show. But they're going to hold social networks accountable for inaccurate comments that users post. So, the millions and zillions of things that people are putting up on different social media platforms during the day. What, you're going to have somebody reading it? Does this become like an assembly line? Uh, That jar of pickles is good. That one's good. Also good. Oh, wait a minute, mouse. Take that jar of pickles out. You can't. This is not something that sounds plausible at all someone who doesn't understand how social media works has obviously done this and then the headline looks good russia will crack down on fake news okay good luck with that know what i'm going to crack down on ants on my front step that's what i'm going to do i'm going to the ants come back you get rid of the ants they come back eventually there's nice little sand that they enjoy making their little Houses out of, or whatever they do. Is it a colony? There's a little house on top. So that's that's something that they've done always. They'll always be back. So will this. I'm not going to crack down on this. Now, according to the report, one of three votes that it needs to pass has gone through. So it still needs two more. And apparently the bill will become a, quote, instrument of censorship and that social media companies will have to develop algorithms to distinguish real news from fake news. Yes, because an algorithm can spot the fake news every time. Give me a break. So when you see that, yeah, you know what, Al's right. It's pretty much fake news. Next, we're going to find out about something very real that is happening in London. It's just over a week away. It's the Ontario Summer Games. What do we need to know? You want to see some of the best and brightest in this province? You'll be able to go pick out somebody, and chances are you'll recognize them on a national team at some point. That's the kind of thing that is coming to London. We'll have details on the Ontario Summer Games in seconds. 
This is London Live. It's brought to you by our friends at Winmar, your restoration specialists. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. If you drive under the underpass on Wellington and you go underneath and come up at York, so you cross Horton, you're on Wellington, underneath the underpass, right up at York, you will have seen a welcome message. It's a big one. There are a few of them around. You may see them in other spots. They are welcoming participants to the Ontario Summer Games, and the dates are there because the dates are next week. What exactly do we need to know about the Ontario Summer Games? How exactly do we follow it? Where do we go? How much does it cost? Well, that's one of the greatest answers of them all. Joining us right now is Bill Merrilies, who is the chair of the Ontario Summer Games. Bill, how's the afternoon going? Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Everything is great with me. How are you today? I am, well, I'm, I'm still feeling a little bit like David at the dentist, where not everything feels real with all the things that are going on. But I know that the Ontario Summer Games are nice and real. And here's the other thing. Let's ask this question first. How much is it to get in to see some of the events? Well, that's the best part, Mike. It's uh, absolutely free. And that is uh, thanks to all of our uh, sponsors that are, have come on board to help support this event. The opening ceremonies, uh, which is on Thursday, August 2nd at TD Stadium, uh, it's free as well as uh, all of the uh, sporting events. And there's 21 sporting events in total. Tremendous. It goes from the 2nd through to the 5th. So basically starting next Thursday, continuing through the weekend, a lot of things happening at TD Stadium, correct? Yes, there's uh, quite a bit of things happening up at the university, but there's there's actually 22 sport venues uh, altogether uh, in the London area. Bill, let's go back to getting, landing the Ontario Summer Games. In fact, we are going to be hosting them again in another two years. But when you look at what this event means, what do you point to? Well, for me, I think it's a great opportunity for our youth in the province to participate in sport. And uh, when I was asked uh, uh, by uh, the sport tourism in London to get involved, uh, as soon as I saw what good it does for our youth, uh, I, uh, I was really pleased to see that. And, and I think that is the biggest thing that's going to happen here. I mean, there are between 3,300 to 3,500 uh, youth between the ages of 12 to 18 coming to London to participate in uh, 21 different sports. And I think it's just fantastic. We're talking right now with Bill Merrilies, who is the chair of the Ontario Summer Games. So you mentioned a lot of venues and a lot of things to see. They're all free. What's the best way to kind of get our heads around that without either you or me listing them all off into space? Well, I think the best thing is to, uh, to visit our website, which is uh, www.london2018.ca. So www.london2018.ca. On there, they'll find uh, all of the different sports uh, and the venues. Uh, and, uh, and as well as we encourage everyone uh, to attend the opening ceremonies at TD Stadium on Thursday, August 2nd. It's not just for the competitors and their families, but it's for the public as well. And uh, the doors open at 530 and uh, the ceremonies start at 630. Bill, when we have the Olympics, it's easy to designate a country. We've already got the borders all lined up on the maps. You can say, okay, anybody who's within this line is going to be from this country, and they will participate against anybody from in between this line and this line, and they're from this country. Provincially, when we have the Canada Summer Games, same sort of thing. We all come from different provinces and territories. How does this work? 
Well, these uh, youth are come from the province of Ontario, but they come from all parts of the province. We have people flying in from the most northern parts of Ontario, the eastern part of Ontario, and, and all the way down here in the southwestern part of Ontario. So uh, there's a huge draw uh, of a lot of youth and, and uh, mixed uh, between uh, boys and girls. And, and again, uh, these these athletes are competing at, at a very high level. So uh, a lot of them go on to compete in, in other uh, amateur sport uh, and uh, and some uh, go on to compete uh, in the Olympics. And that's just it. We're getting an opportunity to see these athletes right now because what ages typically are they in coming to compete in the Ontario Summer Games? Uh, the ages range from 12 to 18. Okay, so teenagers. But we can remember back to the Canada Summer Games. We had Alexander Depatie, who was jumping off the high diving boards at the Aquatic Center. And next thing you know, he's been representing Canada, or did for a long time. Now he's kind of you know put an end to his, his uh, athletic career. But that's the kind of thing that we were able to see then. Is that the kind of thing we can expect now? Well, absolutely. And I also think a lot of these uh, youth, uh, they go on to... Uh, compete in sports uh, in high school and on to university, not only here in Canada, but also down in the United States. Fantastic. We're talking with Bill Merrilies, chair of the Ontario Summer Games, opening ceremonies next Thursday and then on into competition, which will take you straight through until the end of Sunday. Bill, anything else that you feel we need to know? Well, Mike, I just want to tell you that, you know, London always steps up to the plate uh, when it comes to uh, hosting sports events here. We have a strong tradition uh, of, of hosting strong events and, and particularly multi-sport events. And the biggest thank you I want to give out to is all of our volunteers. We have over a thousand volunteers that have signed up uh, to assist uh, with this event. And, and I know not only are the athletes going to get a lot out of this uh, competition, but the volunteers are as well. When they see the, the smiles on these uh, young uh, persons' uh, faces and the enjoyment that they're having. I know our volunteers are going to get a lot out of it. And, of course, uh, none of this can be done uh, without the support uh, of the Ontario government. Uh, the Ministry of Tourism, Culture and, and Sport uh, is a, a big supporter of this event. We've been working very closely with, with them. They've been excellent to work with and all of our sponsors that we have on board. So without all of that, without the the province without uh, our sponsors and multiple volunteers just wouldn't happen. And uh, we're in really good shape. As a matter of fact, you know, we we're, we're looking forward to it and uh, we are really concentrating on the experience of the athlete. And I think that's a big reason why the province gave us back-to-back games. So we're looking forward to doing it again in 2020. And you know what? That's where the rest of us come in because if you can get a section of cheering humans nothing feels better. Yeah, that's right. And we, and we really even... appreciate you uh, giving us the time to uh, create some awareness of the event. No problem, Bill. You have a great afternoon. You too, Mike. Take care. Bye-bye. That is Bill Merrilies, chair of the Ontario Summer Games. We haven't even mentioned the weather. I don't know if you've seen it or heard from John Wilson. You're going to be hearing from him in well, roughly about 12 minutes, and he'll fill you in on exactly how things are going to play out. But lots of sunshine, temperature in the mid-20s. If you like athletic competition, then this is something that is going to show you stars, not just of the present in their own right against their own competition, but stars of the future. So great weather, and it will be great competition at all kinds of different venues around the city. To close out the show, I want to tell you about something you can't see anymore. used to be able to see it, but now 
No, it's it's been taken down, but it's created a really strange conversation. And it's one that we're going to be hearing more about because of the world that we live in. You are your own TV show. You know that. You can be your own TV show. Hey, I want to have a reality TV show someday. Why someday? Why not grab your phone right now and start having a reality TV show? Who knows? Maybe somebody will like what you're doing. Think your life is really exciting. Maybe you will get that reality TV show that makes you millions of dollars. I don't know. Do any make you millions of dollars? I'm not sure. I guess if there's a prize. You win enough Big Brothers, you'll be a millionaire. But I want to tell you about a show that kind of went down and... The conversation that comes up because of it that deals with privacy issues. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Here's the story. I want you to picture this. If you've ever taken a cab ride or an Uber, you'll be able to visualize this. Now, it wouldn't work in a cab because you've got a company that's running that cab. You've got a driver that's responsible to the company. So I don't see this happening there. Uber? Mm, rules are a little more relaxed, aren't they? So, you're in St. Louis, and you order an Uber. And it arrives, and you get in, and there's a guy named Jason who's driving. And you may look up, and on the dash, you might see his phone. Big deal. It's kind of pointing toward the back seat. And then Jason starts up a conversation with you in the back seat. And he's chatting about this and that, and he's trying to make jokes. Trying to be funny. You think, a bit of a, a weird guy, but uh, other than that, yeah, I'm almost where I'm going. I guess I can put up with this. And eventually you get to where you're going. You may have a conversation with him. And then you get out of your Uber and you pay him and that's it. Right? Well, that hasn't been it. Jason has had a Twitch channel, which a lot of people will use to show their proficiency at video games. They'll have Twitch, which allows other people to watch what you're doing, basically watch your screen. And Jason didn't just have that phone up on the dash, he had that phone up on the dash filming and streaming live to Twitch. And he was trying to turn his Uber into basically a Twitch TV show. So he'd pick people up and he'd try and have a conversation. A little something. Let's see if we can find an example of a conversation. Uh, Let's go here. It says uh, uh, we've got a blonde and a brunette with us tonight. Um, And uh, neither one of you really look like ladies, though. And they don't really respond. And then he makes another comment and somebody says, this is creepy. So this is what this guy was doing. He has since taken down the channel. He has admitted, though, that he earned $3,500 off Twitch users who were contributing to his account to kind of keep it going. He had 4,500 followers. And the 3500 came from 100 subscribers who paid $5 a month to support his efforts. Here's the issue, and here's where the conversation comes in that you might want to have. Nobody in the vehicle knew that their lives were being broadcast on Twitch. And if you look into legalities, you know, we have to pay very close attention to legalities in the news world. And it works very simply. 
if you want to know about recording a conversation that is used for broadcast, here's the way it goes. If I want to call you and I want to record the conversation, only one person needs to know that that conversation is being recorded. And that could be me. So I could call you, and I don't necessarily have to tell you, out of politeness, I probably would. Or if you're having a conversation with somebody and a microphone's being held in your face, kind of shows that, yeah, this conversation is being recorded. And you would use that if you wanted to get quotes. You cannot take anything from that conversation and broadcast it so that others can hear. The legalities say in order to do that, both people involved or all parties involved need to know that that conversation has been recorded. But we get into the world that we live in right now where those rules, you don't necessarily run into them. Jason probably had this fantastic idea, you know. There are shows that have people who ride around in cars like comedians and they have conversations and they're a big hit. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be an Uber driver and I'm going to drive around in my car and I'm going to film the conversation and I'm going to play it. Yeah, well, you can't do that. And he knows that now, and he's taken it down, and who knows whether he has to refund money or pay a fine. There's no mention of a fine anywhere. But we ran into this, what, a week or two ago when you had a couple on a plane and you had a guy and a girl in the seats in front of them, and they started up a conversation. They didn't know each other. And they got a little friendlier, and the people behind them turned this into basically a show. And they were posting on Instagram, they were posting pictures and saying, oh, look at this, their arms are getting a little closer. And they were writing down things that they said on their Instagram posts. And then all of a sudden, the people involved found out about it. And the female involved was not pleased. But you don't go thinking, yeah, well, that's illegal to do that. You know, if somebody wants to live tweet something that they're at, they can do that. But you can't necessarily take somebody and throw them out there as a show. Show their private lives without them knowing it. And that's something that's becoming more and more common just because it's so easy. And it's going to be interesting to see how this is dealt with. Because right now it's, oh, you didn't know. Well, you're not too mad and you're not too mad. Okay, can we all live happily ever after and, and make an example of this? Yeah, yeah. That seems to be the way it's going. Soon we'll run into an issue where it's not quite like that. But just know that it's legal for one person to record something. If you're going to broadcast it anywhere, doesn't matter where it is, everybody's got to know. Jacqueline LaBelle is coming up with news. We have come to the end of the show. London Live brought to you by our friends at Winmar, your restoration specialists. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.